0: Thanks so much. How you guys doing, you guys doing all right? Awesome, it's so awesome to be with you guys. I just gotta say, uh, Scott and I have been friends for like three decades plus. Uh, when well, he and his wife were in San Jose, California, to church there, it was the first time we came. Uh, our families have grown together. Our sons were both on scholarship at Cal Berkeley. Uh, his son Spencer played football for Cal. My son Brandon played basketball. So they were roommates and it's just all the places and stations that Scott and Karen has been. I've gotten a chance to go there, be a part and just be in their home. Uh, Let me tell you what, first of all, I think you know this about President Scott Hagan. He's one of the most authentic, real, just down to earth, funny, humorous, witty guys around. Uh, Perhaps the thing that I think, and I'm always sharper whenever I'm around him, but I just wanna throw this in. Uh, I was so impressed at a distance as I saw his leadership and the part you guys played during the whole George uh, Floyd situation and obviously the, the funeral being here, and even last night as we went down to the, to the place, uh, all, all of the world's eyes are right here on your city, and there, there's so many things that could be said because the moment you talk about that, it invokes so much emotion in some people, uh, maybe even a point of uncontrollable emotion. But I do believe this. I believe that God has a purpose in it all. It is our time to shine as the people of God. And uh, I, I, I know this. The God that made the Samaritan the, the hero of the story is a God that's still reaching out to those who are disenfranchised and those who are marginalized, marginalized and he wants to do great and powerful things. Uh, my name is Sean. I've got Mark Afshar with me. i got to give him a shout out. He is a Chi Alpha campus pastor at the University of Pacific in Stockton, California, which is my alma mater, so I love this guy so much. And uh, I'm just going to jump in this, if that's all right. Uh, I feel like in this season in time, and time, and maybe the best way to set it up is like this. So many people were asking the question, like why weren't we warned from God, prophetic ministers and others about COVID-19? When I heard at the end of the year, all the prophetic words, all the intercessors, they were telling us 2020 year of vision, 2020 year of fulfillment, 2020 year of harvest. But how many of you know, nobody saw this coming, right? Because you would have invested in in 95 mass, you'd invested in toilet paper and other stuff. You could uh, you could have Jeff Bezos dollars, right? They didn't see this coming, and so so many people were kind of disillusioned in that, and in that they were also uh, maybe even perhaps thinking, Lord, why wasn't there a warning for this? And all of a sudden, March 17th, 2020 hit. And, and I actually thought we would be down for a couple weeks. How many of you know that's not the case? Like we'll be, we'll, we're, we're praying that we'll be down by the time 2021 20, perhaps rolls around, but we don't know. But I was talking to a mentor of mine, and I just want you to think with me for a second. We were looking for the warning for COVID-19. We were looking for the alarm to make us prepared for COVID, excuse me, COVID-19. But what if the warning isn't something that happened before COVID-19. What if COVID-19 is the warning? Because from what God's perspective, from what God wants to do, COVID-19, coronavirus, would not be the big event. The big event is what God is wanting to do behind the scenes. Now, if someone were to tell you a year ago that bars would shut down, nightclubs would shut down, places of uh, irrepute repute would shut down, and Walmart would sell out of Bibles, you would have said you were in revival, right? What if behind the scenes, and this is the verse I want to take you to, and then I want to unpack this thought uh, for you guys out of a, a scene in 1 Samuel 14. Now, the best way I could set this up is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 begins, it is a messianic passage, it begins, it says... To whom is believe the report of the Lord? How many of you know there's a lot of reports out there? You could believe CNN, MSNBC, even Fox News, Twitter report, what's trending. There's a lot of reports out there, but you're going to have to make an intentional decision to believe the report of the Lord. And I believe the report of the Lord looks dramatically different than the news report you're getting on a daily basis. The very next verse says, "To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed?" Arm of the Lord is his power. Arm of the Lord is his resource. The arm of the Lord is a manifestation, a move of God. I believe there's a connection in Isaiah 53. I believe to those that believe the report of the Lord, the arm of the Lord is revealed. If you believe God's report, then the manifestation and move of his power are to those that believe his report. But I didn't really come to talk to you about that. It's the next part of this segment. It simply says this. It's speaking of Jesus. It says he shall grow up before them as a tender shoot and a root out of dry ground. Dry ground. I'm in California. We've been in about six or seven years of drought, but we're not talking California dry ground. We're talking Middle East dry ground. We're talking about caked, baked, arid, moistureless, rock solid ground. What is the probability that a little tender blade of grass would break through hard soil like that? Because this is likening. Being likened to Jesus, but can I submit to you, Jesus is the great reviver. It is a picture of how revivals break out. This tender shoot out of ground on, think about it with me. Tender uh, dry ground has neither the proper nutrients nor the optimal circumstance for a tender blade to break through. You look at the ground, you see how hard it is. Sean, it's been hard recently. America's hard. It's spiritually hard. People are pained right now. People are in fear. People are looking at the pandemic. People are looking at the economic crisis. People are looking at the civil unrest. You judge the ground hard, but as far as God's concerned, it is the proper circumstance in which revivals break forth. So let me say it this way. Revivals are most likely when they're least likely. Anytime if you've done a study of moves of God, revival is a sudden manifestation of the Spirit of God that brings miraculous transformation to all that come in contact with it. I was saved in a move of God. I've been marked by this hunger for a move of God. And I feel like we're closer now than we've ever been before and so you judge the ground but you don't know that behind the scenes of the hardness you see is a tender blade it is a move of God it's working its way through now let me give you these five hidden principles of revival and then we're going to jump in our passage five hidden principles of revival I've written a book on it It doesn't make me an expert but it is definitely something that I believe that I've, I've at least studied and looked at number one Revivals are always surprising. Just like this blade coming out of dry ground. Revivals, moves of God, manifestations of the Spirit, encounters, because all national revivals begins with personal encounters. I didn't know that when I was in a dorm room at the University of Pacific. I was going to kill myself the next day. I cry out to God in desperation. I had no idea in the hardest place of my life having had my dad shot at nine years of age by policemen proven in court. It was racially motivated. Having my grandmother died of cancer. Four to five closest people to me had died. I did not know that at the hardest place of my life in which I was going to commit suicide the next day that that night Jesus would visit me, encounter me, show up in my room. And so his signature move has always been, as I've observed, when it looks like it is most difficult, least likely scenario, those are the times that God takes center stage. Revivals are always surprising. Why? Because God knows it and the timetable, and we don't. Number two, the situation is important. Because before revivals break out, God loves to stack the odds. He's not only going to have his prophet Elijah called on fire, he's going to three times soak the sacrifice in the middle of a drought because before moves of God, God always stacks the odds. When you begin to see the odds stacked against you, there ought to be a smile that, that you somehow say, this is so bad, it must be God. In other words, this is looking like a setup for what God wants to do. Number three, revivals address an underlying common problem. Revivals address a problem often, listen to me, often a problem we don't think we have. I think the the North American church has had a love problem, but God is dealing with a love problem right now. Come on, somebody, as we speak. Revivals come to address a problem. And then number four, revivals come to the unpredictable because God's values people different than we value people. And it's usually, we we would think, when I say comes to unpredictable, we would think a revival is going to come to America. It's going to come to the Bible Belt. It's going to come to a mega pastor that has face recognition, name. This is how, but in the study of revivals, very rarely. It's usually a group that other people didn't count on. Sometimes, most of the time, young people, right? It usually sometimes comes to storefront churches. It comes to the country church, it comes to the urban church, it comes to areas that others discount, and then finally, God always uses unexpected people to lead revival, and I believe there are various reasons for that. Now, if I were to list the most prevalent attitude that I believe blocks moves of God, if I were to share with you, because I think it's an inside job, it is this particular characteristic, and this characteristic is most frightening Because it's right now the air we breathe. Now let me express this to you. We're used to seeing 70, 75-year-old, right, cynical people. They've been around. They've tried things. They've been let down. But we're used to our 20-something-year-olds being the idealistic uh, segment of any generation. They dream that we can change the world. They believe and trust. And what I'm seeing now, and this is what I want to say. The greatest threat to revival in terms of attitude, the greatest threat is cynicism. It's frostbite of the soul. I remember the first time, I'm from inner city, Oakland. I remember the first time I went to Fairbanks, Alaska. It was cold, y'all, cold, cold. It was like negative 40 degrees. Like, is God not happy with that place? Why would you have negative 40 degrees? I remember I was doing a meeting there, and they had a chapel service, and then I would walk outside, and I'd get in this heated van. They would drive me to the heated uh, uh, cabin or lodge we were staying at. And so they were warning us, but I'm from inner City, Oakland. I don't know cold like that. I mean, you don't really know cold like that, although you know cold better than I know cold, right? I walk out of the chapel service and the minute that negative 40 degree temperature hit my ear, like my ear began to burn. I touched my ear and it cracked, like, like it cracked. It like did, it, 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 it's like a piece fell on the ground. It didn't go back to its normal play, position for a while. And it was so cold. I mean, it was unbelievably cold. And then after I felt things go numb, uh, it began to burn a little bit. And then it was like, I I, I couldn't hardly feel anything. And I think cynicism is frostbite of the soul. That it comes because you've been hurt. It comes because you've been let down. It comes because you trusted something or someone and it didn't come through the way you thought it should come through. And so in order to uh, kind of insulate ourselves it's kind of a self-defense mechanism, we become cynical. And it is the air we breathe. It inundates social media. It Particularly this time of year, it fills the political discourse. It is the mainstay of modern humor. And so all of a sudden, we feel like it's hip to be cynical. But let me tell you what, when a nation desperately needs a move of God, we can't have the age group that's typically at the forefront of moves of God cynical. And I don't think there's anyone here in this chapel or watching online that are you are the hardcore cynical. You probably wouldn't have chose NCU if you are. But there can be this subtle cynicism that you, you kind of change what a meaningful win looks like. Instead of it being revival, it's now just survival. First Samuel chapter 14, and just because of the sense of time, I want to kind of tell you the story. King Saul is now the reigning monarch in Israel. He's three years removed, three chapters, I should say, excuse me, three chapters removed from having a significant exploit. He had defeated Nahash and the Ammonite, and one chapter earlier, he's got 3,000 men with him in Gibeah. And then all of a sudden, the Philistines are starting another incursion, and there's another battle. In the midst of it, he's waiting because he's waiting for the prophet Samuel so he can come do a particular sacrifice since that the Lord is with him. And he's already beginning to compromise, King Saul. And so he's waiting, and he's kind of looking at the clock, and and man, Samuel's not showing up. And so he does the sacrifice uh, on his own accord. And so he's very presumptuous and disobedient to God by him doing a sacrifice. That was the job of the priest. That wasn't his job, right? And so Samuel, actually the prophet, comes to to rebuke him, the priest that he should have went to. He didn't go through that proper route. And so Saul gives three reasons why he did this. He says, number one, he says, the people are scattering from me. He says, number two, you didn't come in the timetable in which I thought that you would come. And number three, do you see how bad it is out there? As a result of that, By the time we see King Saul again in 1 Samuel 14, he has gone from 3,000 men to 600 men. He is dwindling. The Philistines have completely surrounded him. And here is this phrase. It's at this point when you either cave in to this fallen world cynicism or you rise up into Holy Ghost activism. And it's the difference between those who erupt and those who erode And he's eroding. He's dwindling. The Philistines had did this. And let me explain this to you, and then we're going to be able to roll the rest of these thoughts out right after we we set this backdrop. The Philistines had taken the weapon and the weapon makers from the people of God. So you imagine what the enemy's trying to do right now. He's trying to take your joy. He's trying to take your simple childlike faith. He's trying to take that, that some people, that our goal is to keep from getting a bug and a virus, and I get that, but maybe our goal should be laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover and re- recovering this awesome, dynamic, m- miracle healing ministry. It was during the time of the bubonic plague that John G. Lake discovered that there was healing in the name of Jesus. He actually took the bubonic plague, they rubbed the bubbles off a dead man's mouth. I'm gonna be graphic with you. takes in his hands, and John G. Lake says, the law of the spirit of life sets me free from the law of sin and death. They scooped it off, early 1900, scooped off the foam of the bubonic plague, put it under a microscope, and the bubonic plague died. He discovered the healing power of God because the dude didn't become cynical and fall into survival mode. He kicked into revival mode, and I believe that God always wants to outdo what it is that's coming against you. The Philistines took out the weapons. They took out the weapon maker. I believe the Lord wants to weaponize your love that you love like no generation has ever loved. I believe the Lord wants to weaponize your joy where you have infectious joy that you come together and there's an ex- I know you got masked on, but come on. that You can't mask joy when you got joy. It'll leap out your eyes. You carry an atmosphere when you come into a place when you really have that kind of joy. And I believe that the Philistines are trying to take away... Our weapons and our weapon makers in the in our midst. The Philistines also had surrounded God's people, they had surrounded five cities. But now here's where we find King Saul. He's disenchanted, he's disillusioned, he's looking at the Philistines, and the Bible says that their their soldiers are as numerous as the seashore. And he's sitting back, the Bible says, in 1 Samuel 14, he's eating pomegranate juice. Right That red stuff falling down his shield, it should be enemy's blood. No, it's pomegranate juice. He's under a place or in a place called Migron. in the original Migron means fear. And I believe that unknowingly Saul had become a cynic. I believe he'd become distrustful. I believe he said, the people are moving away with me and uh, moving away from me. Saul is actually thinking that I should be with the crowd, and the crowd should be with me, but right now it's not. Number two, I thought this thing should have ended by now. In other words, I thought that you should have come and been with me and came and made the sacrifice, priest, but it's not on my timetable. And number three, I'm looking at everything getting worse around me, and all of these three uh, incidents conspired to bring about a subtle callousness. It wasn't a renunciation of God. It was in that moment that he projected the negative current crisis on his present, and on his future, and what it did is it immobilized him. Now enter the guy that is the star of the story, Jonathan. I love this guy. You know why? Because the dude had a seriously bad idea. It's horrible, all right? Here is Jonathan. He finds one other guy in the midst of his quarantine, equally is. horrible, crazy for God as he is, his armor bearer, and he says to a group of Philistines, is as numerous as the seashores, there's two of them, and they only have one sword between them. And he says, let's go attack them. That idea is horrible. Anybody hearing me? Like, wh- wh- what's your strategy? We will surround them. I'll take the front, you take the back. And I thought, how does that even happen? During 1904, during, in a place called Wales, which I, I went there, I went to this church, Locker Wells, Mariah Chapel, out back is, is buried a tremendous revivalist. And this tremendous revivalist name was Evan Roberts. In the midst of a time, and I, if I had more time, I could, I could literally list the conditions of Wales during the time, but they were far from a godly place. It was godless. And in the midst of that, it was a guy that during his teenage years is when he began praying, but by the time he hit his 20s, he was convinced that a move of God was coming to his nation when everyone else says, you're crazy, can you see, look around right now. He actually came out of prayer one time and told his best friend, we're about to see 100,000 people come to know the Lord. Well, history backed him up because within six months of him having that vision and sharing it with his friend, they saw 100,000 people come to know the Lord and the Welsh Revival became the great Welsh Revival that literally Azusa Street, Literally, there, there was an intercessor, Charles Parham, that was in touch with Evan Roberts, and he was kind of coaching them through him and W.J. Seymour, the great revival that took place. And it was all connected back to a guy in the darkest time had the greatest faith. And I believe it's time to shake the cynicism. And this is what Jonathan said. I could stay in the cave of cynicism, or I could choose to move, go where I feel God is moving. And right now, I feel like God is attacking the enemy, so I'm not going to stay here. And so he has to pass through a couple cliffs, which I think are very interesting. One literally means a slippery slope. One means a thorny cliff. And sometimes God doesn't make the way easy for people to leave this place of cynicism and come to vibrant, explosive faith. But can I just say to you, we need you to have a vibrant, explosive faith in the midst of a backdrop where you would be entitled to be bummed out and just be in survival mode and just kind of like go from place to place and pure well yourself and just try to make it through and survive and hope one day. But what if right now God wants to pour out his spirit in the midst of a COVID-19 season, in the midst of civil unrest? What if it right now, see, I, I feel like people are closer right now to God than they've ever been before. Why? Because this is the precursor of all revival, and this is the opposite end of the spectrum, if you will, from cynicism, spiritually speaking. It's when people come, become expectant, and people, before they become expectant, they become desperate. And I'm telling you, people are desperate right now. There are people right now, I mean, the statistics bearing it out that more people are turning to alcohol, recreational drugs, there's divorce, there's people committing suicide, on and on and on. I've seen so many people come to know the Lord in California and other places. They're baptizing them in the Pacific Ocean by the hundreds, young people by the thousands. We haven't seen anything like this since the Jesus People movement. This is not something they'll report to you on the news. But there is a report. Why? Because there are young people that are saying, I'm not going to allow this to be the excuse for me to not go pedal to the metal, full throttle after God. Because my God, if he can get up out the tomb on a third day, and if he's got creation on his resume, I'm telling you, a, a, a virus that is one one billionth of a yardstick God is not on the throne. I'm not poking fun at us. I know we got to do what we got to do, but God's not on the throne with N95 mass, keeping the angel Gabriel six feet, social distance, and the a- angel Michael. Come on, how many of you know he's not threatened by this? This doesn't delay God's plans. God's not sitting back going, I hope this virus gets over quick so I can do what I want to do. No, God is a blade that breaks the hardest soil. He's a tender shoot out of dry ground. He's the God that, man, this thing is trying to hold back God. And the most vulnerable place of a plant is when it's a tender shoot. In its infancy, a move of God can break through the hardest times. We think we have to have this full-fledged years going mighty, man, machine. And God is saying in its infancy, it can break through the hardest soil. In the midst of an army that was numerous as the seashore, and they were... 30,000 chariots, 6,000 calvary. The Philistines are pressing in, commentators and scholars say, planning one final thrust. And yet scriptures say, and I love it, in 1 Samuel 14 and verse 23, yet scripture says, but the Lord rescued Israel that day. And the reason why that happened was because of Jonathan, obviously God. But in that day, he began to realize one person can have a major impact. One person begins to believe. It becomes infectious. And all of a sudden, you get someone else to agree with you. They cross this half acre of land, and the narrative of Scripture says 20,000 Philistines bit the dust. And then the Lord sent an earthquake. When the Lord sent an earthquake, man, all these Philistines, numerous as the seashore, they start running. Can you imagine if you were just on the side, and all of a sudden you see this stampede of Philistines running, you think, what has got to be chasing them? You kind of start running because you think, I better get my momentum going. You see two dudes with one sword throwing them back and forth because they don't even have equal arms access. Wild-eyed look in their eyes, and you're going, What the heck is going on? And it's because this is so key, and I love this, and I, I just want to get this point to you. God will intervene in the midst of your insufficiency if you will break the plane of inactivity. Let me say that again. God will intervene in the midst of your insufficiency if you will break the plane of inactivity. You know the secret of it all, and I'm closing right now. Secret of it all, because I'm searching the secret. I'm pulling out the Bible Illustrator. I'm pulling out the pulpit commentary. I got my logo software. What would make Jonathan commit temporary intellectual suicide and two dudes, come on, this isn't just a story. Although they should make a movie out of this. It would be epic. This is history. This really happened. What would, that's a that that's like, who does this? And then I read this verse. And I go, this is our secret. It says in 1 Samuel 14, 6. Then Jonathan said to his armor bearer, let's cross over the camp of these uncircumcised Philistines. I've read that many times. And maybe you read that and you go, okay, where, where's the secret in that? When Jonathan said, let's go over to these uncircumcised Philistines, it's in that moment that he recognizes his identity. They're uncircumcised. I'm circumcised. The word uncircumcised means without covenant. In this moment, he recognized I got covenant with a covenant-keeping God. They don't. God's got my back. He doesn't have their back. I have the anointing on me. Angels. I've got heaven that, that would literally go with me on, on behalf of the cause of the king. They don't have that. They're uncircumcised. And it's in that moment that you recognize who you are. I was tragically gripped, and I'm, I'm going to have you bow your heads in a moment. I was tragically gripped this last week at Chazwick, Chadwick Bozeman Lost a Battle to Cancer. He's a, he's a strong believer. Obviously great movies like 42, Uh, jackie robinson he did james brown he did Thurgood marshall and of course he's known for black panther in the midst of black panther there's a scene where he is king t'challa and he's losing a battle to mbaku who they have to have this fight for so who would have the throne and he's getting beat down bad then his mama right and who doesn't want angela bassett as your mama okay she's just she's just classy and fine okay she says t'challa Tell him who you are. And he's getting beat down bad. And all of a sudden, it's, it's classic cine, cinematic, cinematic genius. He gets his look in his eye. It's that rocky look. It's that, oh you know what's going on. He says, I am T'Challa, son of T'Chaka, king of Wakanda. And he just beats the dude down. And, he, of course, he takes the throne. But there's a principle. When you rediscover who you are, it activates your fight. And that's what I'm calling you to be and to do you've got a fight in you. We're going to fight a good fight. We're going to be people of faith. We're going to believe that in the midst of this, God could pour out his spirit. I could have the best year, best semester ever. I'm not waiting for COVID to get over. COVID better hope we get over it, man, because I'm telling you right now, we're going to go after God. And so I want you to bow your heads. Jesus, I just pray God right now all across this place. I believe that what you're wanting to tell us is you could win with what you got. You could win with who you have, and you could win from where you're at. You can win with who, who, what you've got. You could win with who you have. You can win from where you're at because you're the blade breaking through the dry ground. I pray all across this chapel that we would just begin to shake off as kind of we are doing this different. And I love it. We're going to go back into worship. But I pray rather right now that, Lord, you would rekindle a flame, God. I pray we wouldn't sit back in any level of kind of dullness or, or lethargy or kind of like a low grade. I'm just trying to avoid stuff right now. No, I pray that we would be people that God would breach new territory, take new ground. Lord, that we would say that I'm going to draw nearer to Christ than I've ever been. I'm going to be the most radical believer. If the devil thinks for a moment that he could get me in a cave of cynicism, he's wrong. This is my hour. For this purpose I came. And Lord, I thank you, God, that there's purpose, divine intention, and anointing all over this place. I'm going to ask the worship team just to sing a song, but if you would remain, I'm going to have in a moment Mark come up, and we're just going to begin to minister over people. But I just feel like right now, just, let's just allow the worship team, and if you would enter in, don't let this mask be anything that would keep you from lifting your voice and praising God and going after God in your heart and saying, God, I'm here for you to mark me because if you mark me, you can use me to mark history in Jesus name.